This episode of The Matt Report is brought to you by Plugged In Radio. You can find out more at pluggedinradio.com. It's a new podcast that I have coming out, and it's all about WordPress plugins and maybe even the services around WordPress. But we're going to invite people on who create WordPress plugins to demonstrate, to teach us how to use these plugins that they create for our business, for our practice. You can find out more at pluggedinradio.com. Welcome to The Matt Report a podcast for building businesses with WordPress. Subscribe to The Matt Report at mattreport.com forward slash subscribe. And now your host, Matt. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Matt Report. As always, your host, Matt. And today we have a great guest. We have Brad Williams of Web Dev Studios on the call today. And we haven't spoke to him in three years uh, on this show, and it's going to be a great sort of recap to see sort of where he was in business three years ago to where he is today. Now, he's doing projects with Microsoft and Discovery and just big, big, well-known brands, and we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what the differences were three years ago. You know, why, what, why wasn't he servicing those clients back then, and how did he get to them just a mere three years later, growing a team uh, and now launching a product business called Pluginize, of course, WordPress plugins, and uh, just kind of figuring all that out. As the CEO, as the guy who doesn't even write a line of code anymore, what is that like? What's it like to run a business? What's it like to deal with these sort of larger clients that maybe some of you are aspiring to service in your own business? So uh, real glad that Brad could join us three years later. And uh, just going to be a great time. Once again, if you do love the show, we'd love a five-star review. Head on over to iTunes. Leave us a five-star review there. Where are you listening to The Matt Report? Are you listening to it on the webpage or are you downloading it to podcatchers? I'd love to know if you head on over to the webs- um, mattreport.com website and leave a comment maybe on this episode or send me a contact form, anything like that. Tweet at me, uh, at Matt Report. You can do that. Just let me know where you're listening to this. I want to know where it's most consumed. Uh, I will be launching, as you heard at the top of the show, a new podcast called Plugged In Radio. You can check that out, pluggedinradio.com. All right, it's been one minute and 43 so seconds. Let's jump in to the episode. Joined by my good buddy, Brad. Brad, welcome back to the program, sir. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. You know, three years later. It's cool. <laughs> I'm not hurt at all. Well, look, I, you are one guy that you just need that time off. <laughs> we just need to get that good gap and then get catch an update. So it, it has been three years. June uh, 2013 was when I had you on episode 40. And I was listening to it today and all I could do was cringe <laughs> listening, <laughs> listening to uh, the way that podcast was uh, back then, the way I answered questions or asked questions. Um, but it's great to have you back. Thanks. Thanks for taking the time out of your day. I am glad to be back. I should have gave that episode a listen. It's been a while since I've heard it. But yeah, I think it's anything in... Anything in life, if you if you go back and listen, if things aren't getting better, then that's probably a larger problem, right? So <laughs> right. Uh, uh, if your podcast is better now than it was, then I think you're going the right direction. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, for sure. And, you know, that's it's funny that you say that. It's kind of a good uh, entry point into this discussion about your business uh, and about the business of WordPress. One of the things that I, I sort of... Uh, I really don't even have a good way to, to phrase it. I try to write, try to come up with something creative someday. But a lot of folks, I see a lot of folks in the WordPress space, they, they start off as freelancers and they're like, you know what, I want to make a go at this. I want to start maybe like a small boutique agency and they start, you know, they start doing the work. They start putting the time in, but they don't realize how difficult it is. Um, but then there's the whole thing of 
gee, am I doing things the right way? Well, look what web dev's doing. Look what 10 ups doing. Look what CrowdFavor's doing. Like you start looking at all these, at these people and then you sort of give up. You sort of burn yourself out, you phase out. But folks who stay in it, who continue to work through uh, the uphill battle, I mean, you are so much better than if you just gave up. I know it sounds stupid to say that. It's like so obvious, but it's like one of these things where you have it right in front of you, you're doing the work, just stick with it. And, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to be better six months, a year from now, a day from now, you're going to be better than you are today as long as you stick with it. And that's the worst thing people can do is sort of give up short. Yeah. I uh, mean, yeah. I mean, it's funny too, because I'm sure we probably talked about this a bit on the last episode because it was kind of the history of, of where web dev started and how we kind of grew. But I, you know, I don't know if this is the same path for a lot of people, but for us, you know, we kind of, we didn't have this long-term vision of, of, you know, we want to grow or like look at a company and say, we want to be like that size or like them. It was more of just, you know, day in and day out doing the work, you know what I mean? And as the work grew, we started to grow just kind of organically. So it was kind of, it just kind of happened, you know what I mean? Um, and I guess back then, you know, this was 2008, 2009, there weren't a lot of larger WordPress, you know, only shops. I think there's a lot, certainly a lot more freelancers and, and maybe, like you said, smaller person boutiques, um, small, you know, smaller shops, but there weren't like these larger ones to kind of look up to um, and say, yeah, that's who we want to be. So it was kind of like we were just doing our thing and, and things started happening, you know? Yeah. Which <clears throat> I think, worked I, out. Huh? Yeah. I think that's the better way to, for me to phrase that is a lot of folks are just looking for more of that immediate. Uh, you know, satisfaction or, hey, you know, why don't I grow at X amount of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, of employees and project size? Uh, it just simply takes time. It's, yeah. what, you know, going back and listening to that episode, episode 40, and of course, I'll link that up in the show notes. You were, you know, in a season of your business, what, I, what I'll call a season of your business, where it seemed like, you know, there was, there was growth. I mean, there was definitely growth. You were working with big clients. But now, just you know, being on the homepage uh, of your website, Microsoft, Discovery, Campbell's, Uber, uh, you know, take us th- what what has happened in the in the last three years, and what do you think is really getting you uh, into these sort of enterprise clients? What 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 has that been like? Dealing with these types of clients, project size, scope, contracts, dollars. Uh, compared to three years ago, what's the biggest thing that you've discovered? Yeah, I mean, um, great question. It's obviously a lot's changed in three years, um, which you would kind of expect. Three years is kind of a long time. Um, a lot of things have changed, and some things have stayed the same. But certainly, the clients, the the names have gotten bigger. You know, certainly the projects have gotten bigger, and I think a lot of it is is really directly related to the growth of WordPress and kind of the acceptance of WordPress by, you know, the enterprise, so to speak. Um, back in 2013, there were certainly, WordPress was growing, and I don't, I don't remember the market share of WordPress back then, but I, I want to say we, it was we probably act, in the, we, we actually said on the show 16 to 17%. 16, okay. <laughs> I was going to guess low teens, so I was yeah. close. Yeah, so, so mid-teens. Um, and now we're, you know, over a quarter, you know, over 25%. I think it's around 26-something. So um, it was popular. But I don't. At that time, it was just starting to creep into the enterprise space. You know, these larger companies. Um, and once it kind of broke through, once you see, you know, companies like Microsoft kind of, um, you know, rolling out a lot of sites on WordPress and really, you know, enjoying working with WordPress and really kind of, um, you know, just just loving the platform. 
um, that that one to me was a big one. Not only the fact that we were a part of it, but the fact that you know a lot of other companies they look at Microsoft. You know, Microsoft isn't obviously like the big booming '90s company that we once remember that just dominated everything. But they're still they still dominate a lot, um, and they're still massive tech companies. So a lot of people look, well, Microsoft's using this. Maybe we need to give this a serious look. You know. Um, so once, you know, it's kind of like dominoes, you know, once a few of those enterprise large, you know, massive companies kind of, you know, took off with WordPress, I think it kind of validated it in a sense for others at, at that level to say, Hey, Microsoft's doing it, you know, why aren't we doing it? You know what I mean? So, sure. um, that helped a lot. And just, you know, that really for us started taking off, like, in I would say 2014, when we really started seeing some of these larger brands, reaching out to us and some of our, you know, competitors in the industry um, looking to get into WordPress. Sure. Well, I want to dive into being an agency owner. And one of the things that, uh, you know, being in the game, as I call it, uh, you know, constantly, you know, sticking through it and doing the work as you talk to clients, you don't even have to land clients and you can learn from them. So again, as I have a boutique shop, uh, you know, I come across uh, every once in a while an enterprise-like client, uh, you know, one, one client that has much greater expectations to the service that they're going to get. And the way that they even present projects to us, I learn from that, right? I learn how they pitch projects to us. Mm-hmm. I learn sort of who's in charge, who, how they structure their teams. Even if I don't win the bid, I look at a, I could go through a pre-sales interaction and go, wow. I'm going to, I'm going to use that for my next client, right? Because I, you know, I never knew that corporate thought this way, or I never knew that this type of business sort of had, uh, you know, this, this, uh, marketing team and engineering team sort of working together on things. And it sort of brightens, um, or it gives me a little bit more experience to understand the higher end client. Have you, is there one lesson you've learned from going to these bigger Batter companies, I guess, I, to put it in a different way. Have you learned one remarkable thing dealing with these larger clients? Um, I think probably the overarching thing that I see across the board is just understanding how larger corporations work, um, as opposed to a you know small business or smaller companies. You know, larger corporations, there is a uh, a much bigger hierarchy, kind of executive chain. Um, and you have to kind of understand that because it's generally not one or two or three people making decisions. It's generally a lot of people making decisions, right? And that can sometimes be overwhelming um, to an extent of you've kind of gone through whatever discovery phase scope of work and it kind of works its way up the chain and comes back down and everything's wrong and needs change. Um, you know, in a sense, I think early on that might have been frustrating, but now going into it, it's like we, you, you know, we kind of build that in knowing that when you're working with a larger corporation, enterprise level company, um, there is going to be a lot more overhead. There's going to be a lot more admin time that you have to spend working with those clients because of that kind of hierarchy or that, you know, so many key players that have to buy into that, you know, that plan and that project. Um, designs are another good example. You can imagine designs when there's a company of, you know, 10, 15, 20 people, there's usually one or two people that are going to make those decisions. But what's a company of 50,000 people, <laughs> you know, yes. there's going to be a number of people that right, have to weigh right. in on that decision. There's going to be, you know, not only following branding guidelines, but there has to be legal review. They have to make sure, you know, the accessibility is at the forefront of everything you're doing because that's a, obviously a very important thing that everybody should be doing. But it also, from a legal standpoint, is extremely important for these companies. So um, there's just a lot of overhead, and I think you have to plan for that up front because if you don't, you're going to you're gonna probably lose your ass just on the overhead you didn't account for because 
because you're thinking in smaller terms of, all right, this project's straightforward, but there's that overhead you didn't account for. So it's, that's something I think we learned early on um, and have made sure to bake that into our plans so that we have that time and that budget allotted for that. Yeah, it's funny that you say that because I'm doing a kitchen remodel. And listen, this isn't uh, this isn't the Taj Mahal kitchen here. <laughs> this, <laughs> this, is, this is like, you know, entry level. I'm walking into Home Depot. Like we're just getting some things changed around here. And uh, it's funny. We get the quote. And at the bottom of the quote, you know, big red letters, it says, you know, price, price will change if we run into problems. Price, yeah. will, price will change if, if customer changes decisions. Like all these like upfront things where if I tried doing that in our world, like the software world, and even like general small business marketing website world, they look at you and be like, well, you should know all the problems. You should right. know what's going to happen. And it's like, no, it doesn't, it doesn't exist. <laughs> There's no way I can just do this 100% accurate, no problems at all, because nine times out of 10, the problem comes, comes from the customer changing their minds. Yeah, uh, I, love, I love that comparison. And it's one of those, this is, I don't blog much, but I would, it's one of those things I, I want to get back into. And it's one of those areas I would love to talk about, because I feel like the, the overlap between what we do building websites and what, you know, contractors do in that exact scenario, there are so similar, you know, we're basically working with the client. In this case, it's you and your, you know, and, and, and your wife and, and your kitchen is the project and you want to revamp it, but there's no way that contractor can know what's going to happen. If they have to tear down your drywall, they're not going to know what's behind that drywall until they do it. I mean, you see, if you ever watch HGTV or those DIY, you know, my wife and I, we love those shows. We watch them on the weekend and stuff. Um, there, there's always unknowns. There's always something that comes up. You know, they, they tear it down. There's termites or there's mold or there's bad wiring or something that you would have no idea is there until you actually dig in. And you're not going to dig in until you have, you know, a, a plan and you're getting paid, right? So it's it's exactly what we're doing in a sense. Um, and you're right. For some reason, there's there's a lot of times there can be pushback on that, you know. Um, but it, it's a conversation we like to have. And I've used that analogy with clients before, you know, of, hey, we don't really – we're not going to know all the answers until we get in there. We can definitely give you a very good estimate. But once we get in there, we can really lock it in, you know what I mean? So. Right. Right. Um, it's a really interesting, there's a lot of parallels there. I think it's really interesting. Right. Yeah. And that could be one of the things, if what I've found in sort of dealing with more corporate clients over the years and higher ed clients, that uh, it's it becomes a people problem more than a technology problem. And it doesn't even, it's not like person A doesn't get along with person B. It's just that once you're in, I don't know, the corporate atmosphere or even big business atmosphere, there's other variables at play where, you know, you think that, uh, you know, you're dealing with a marketing team and all of a sudden, big push, big push. And then the marketing lead goes, well, I'm going on vacation for two weeks. <laughs> and it's like, it's like, oh, I, I guess you don't care that much because it's not your business when you're, you're used to dealing with small business clients and the, the owner is the decision maker and they're working 24-7 and they're ready to give you information. Yeah. And then you start dealing with corporate stuff and people are just like, not my business. Uh, it's okay if we push this milestone out, that kind of thing. Uh, There's a big difference between the two, absolutely. When someone's yeah. writing you a check from their savings account, Versus submitting your invoice to accounting. Those are two very different projects. Sure. That's one of the reasons we've kind of grown um, and moved away from those smaller smaller projects. You know, and when I say smaller, I'm talking you know, in, in the thousands of dollars. And I, you know, I'm not saying thousands of dollars is is nothing. Like I get it. It's a lot of money. 
Um, but there is, there is, you know, if I'm writing a check for someone out of my savings account for a few thousand dollars, you know, I'm absolutely going to be on top of that and make sure I'm getting my money's worth, you know, for whatever it is. And I don't blame them, you know, but it's a very different working environment between those two types of projects. Yeah. And, and people might be listening is going, why are you asking these questions, Matt? Well, it's because, you know, I see a whole bunch of stuff to keep the show clean. <laughs> I see a whole bunch of stuff uh, on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram of, you know, marketing people who who are like, hey, you know, charge charge your clients $10,000 and live on an island kind of thing. And it drives me bonkers because <laughs> number one, they're, you know, these folks, yeah, I can show you how to sell a, a, a 10 figure website too. But guess what? It's not pretty, right? It's not as easy as these marketers put it out there. And, and when you're a young, fresh entrepreneur, you're like, yeah, I want to get bigger projects. I want to get bigger clients. But that doesn't mean that the check is just bigger, right? And that's the only thing that changes. No, the workload changes. The expectations change. Um, you know, plenty of times people interview me and they say, how big is your team? And I say, it's 12 people. And they're like, can't deal with you. Too small, right? <laughs> and they mm -hmm. move on. Uh, We've had that too. I mean, yeah. a lot of people think, you know, they say, oh, you know, web dev is is huge. And, you know, we're 35 people now. Um, so we're, we're, we're a, you know, a decent sized company, but really outside of the WordPress space, we're, we're not, you know what I mean? And, and I'm saying still within the web development community, but there are massive companies out there and we've had we've had clients in the past say you're you're too small right and i think that's probably surprising most people may not think that we hear that but we do um and some of our competitors at the same size of us i've talked with them and they 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 come across the same thing you know they're looking for teams of hundreds of people or thousands even you know to know that they have that level of, of support and resources so it's it's not uncommon to hear that on the, on the larger scale it's funny you say that because you said i think you said almost the exact same thing in episode 40. <laughs> um, which <laughs> You're is, never going to be big enough. That's the key point yeah. here. You'll never be big enough to satisfy everybody, right? There's always going to be people that have very specific, well, in their mind and maybe their requirements. It doesn't mean you can't talk them out of that and prove that you are. Sure. But they might go into it with a certain, you know, kind of set of expectations that you have to work to to prove differently, you know, prove, prove otherwise. Sure. You know, one of the sort of figureheads uh, on the internet or what I'll call a internet celebrity is Gary Vaynerchuk and he started VaynerMedia and you see the size that uh, you know again he started small whatever and you know he had he had some successes before that which sort of helped catapult him a little bit in the agency world but if you follow any of his material that he puts out there whether you agree or or not uh, the amount of work that he puts in I mean he's still trying to compete against agencies and he He's trying to take down agencies and disrupt that model, and he's already got 600 employees, <laughs> right? Like, how how big do you need to be to compete in this world? It, it's pretty bizarre once you start to to dive into it. Yeah, I, you know, and and to that, like the size thing, right? Like, it's that's something. There's been a lot of you know joking in the community over over the years. You know, oh, is you know, ten ups always hiring, web devs always hiring, whoever crowd favorites always hiring, and and who's bigger and this and that. And like, I, I, honestly, like just being completely transparent, I used to get fixated on that. I used to want to say, I we are the biggest. You know what I mean? Um, and there was a time where we might have been for a short period of time, maybe, maybe not. Who knows? But I, over the years, I've really kind of stepped back from that position and and. Realize that it really isn't about being the biggest, and my goal is not to be the biggest. I want to be the best, right? I want to be, I want to be that company that people look at and say they produce quality work, um, no, regardless of how big they are. What they do is top notch. You know, it's it's the best of the best. That's what I'm more focused on 
in my day to day than to say we are the biggest WordPress company out there. I could care less. You know what I mean? I kind of I liken it to like the military. I'm from you know I, my background. I'm a veteran. I was in the Marines for four years. The Marines are a very they're the smallest branch in the military. They're very specialized branch, and they have a reputation of being the best branch. And I'll say it because I was a Marine that you know we we are the best branch, right? So, um, but that reputation is out there for that reason. They go in and do very specialized things, and in a smaller branch in the uh, in the military, they're not the army. You know, they're not the biggest branch, but they are the best. So that's 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 where we want to be. Yeah. Uh, so what has changed? Here's another thing that maybe folks uh, overlook or don't really realize until until it's too late. How has your day-to-day changed since the company has grown so much? I mean, are you still coding every day or are you doing more sort of high-level executive stuff? Yeah, definitely not coding. Um, that's for sure. So I don't code at all, um, not for work. So if I code, it's in the evenings, weekends, you know, free time for fun. Um, and I still do on occasion. I have some plugins I'm building and um, working on because I do enjoy it. You know, I, I, I grew up a developer. I'm still a developer you know, deep down in my heart. Um, but I, ha- I did have to come to terms and it probably was right around the time we were talking last time, 2013 or so, as we were kind of growing, Lisa had just came on as a partner, Lisa Saban Wilson. Um, and we started, we made a big jump at that point. You know, I think we were probably hovering around eight to 12 people around that. And she came on and we started to grow. We got up into the, you know, mid teens, maybe, uh, low twenties in terms of size, taking on more projects, larger projects, um, and you know, admin became where I had to focus and I had to really just kind of come to terms with that myself and say, look, I can't be a developer. If I want to grow this company and build the best company that I can build, I can't be on the ground level writing code. I have to be running the company, building relationships, working with clients, you know, figuring out HR admin, whatever needs to happen, you know, um, to make this company successful. And that's what I've done. So, um, I do, you know, I don't code. I am admin, you know, I am helping run the company, put out fires, working with clients, you know, bringing in leads, whatever it may be, you know, whatever the company needs, that's, that's what I'm doing. So, um, it is a, it is something that, um, as companies grow, you've probably had, had to come to terms with this a little bit yourself. Um, you know, if you are kind of at, you know, at the top and it's your company, you know, you got to do what you got to do to make that company successful. And it may not be what you started out doing. Yeah, absolutely. One of the, one of the things that I find myself, and maybe you have the same problem uh, at your level, uh, is you know the the scoping of a, of a potential project, uh, the structure of a contract, how much it's going to cost, right? How are we how are we going to price that? Is that something that you're wrestling with? Uh, and if so, how are you? What's your best advice for maybe even scoping a project and understanding price point uh, if that is something you're dealing with? Yeah, I think that's something we all deal with, right? You know, and it's it's. The trick is you want to get to you want to get a scope of work that is completely detailed, includes absolutely everything about the project, has a timeline, has a cost that works for both sides, and spend uh, the least amount of time doing it. Right? I mean, <laughs> like at the end of the day, like you don't want to say that, but it's true. Like you don't absolutely. want to invest forty hours into a scope of work and then realize you you never had the shot in the first place or whatever. You know what I mean? Um, so what? A lot of what we're doing, since these projects we're involved in are, are much, much larger these days, um, we work together and put together kind of what we call a high-level scope of work. And it outlines the high-level requirements of the project. It doesn't have the nitty-gritty details all the way down to how everything's going to possibly work or how they're going to manage it or things like that. But it has what the requirements are. And that's what we work towards with the client. And then 
the very first thing we do when we when we get into the project is a very detailed discovery. And from that, we build a project plan. So I, I liken this to, to kind of building the blueprint of the house we're going to build. And this is the extremely detailed. Here's the CPTs we're going to register. Here's the taxonomies. Here's how data is going to be stored. Here's what plugins we are going to use. Here's what plugins we might or features functionality we are going to build. Um, you know, it's extremely detailed. Here's how a feature will look and act. Here's how it will be controlled, you know, on the admin side. Here's the permissions. Here's the fields you'll have, all of that stuff. So it's literally the project plan of exactly how we're going to build everything. And that's an extremely detailed, extensive document. Um, and that can take weeks, you know, sometimes months to put together, depending on the size of the project. But what that allows us to do is one, get an engagement with the client. Um, and then have time and budget around that to help them put that together. Um, if you've worked with, you know, if you've ever had like a, wanted to do a larger construction project like on your house, maybe add a, a second story or, a, a, you know, a wing in the back of your house or a garage, um, to do that, you're going to pay an architect to work with you to come up with those plans. You're going to pay them to do that, right? So it's very similar. You know, we're going to get paid to use our expertise and work with the client to put, put together a project plan to make sure that we build exactly what they want, keep it in, you know, keeping in mind performance, security, all that good stuff. But they know exactly what they're getting at that point. Um, and it's a document we go back and forth on just like you would, you know, do revisions and make sure it's perfect. And then we get sign off on it and then we move forward. And that's the plan we use to build out the site. And the beautiful thing about that is it, it will, it won't eliminate, but it will, it will virtually eliminate a lot of the kind of gray area. Um, or um, incorrect assumptions because it's documented. It's not, I'm not saying there won't still be some of that. There will be, but it's going to get you 95% there. You know, things were documented, things were discussed. The plan is in place. If something changes, great, we can do a change order. But it gives us that good foundation, um, and it's not like we're trying to rush through that in a in a in a few hours and then miss things because we didn't want to invest too much time and maybe not get it or whatever. You know what I mean? So it's it's worked well for us, especially on these larger projects. And honestly, clients appreciate it. They want that level of detail. And the clients that are serious about these larger builds are absolutely okay with with paying for it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and and they're really it's one of those things where when you when you do find the client. Uh, well, first of all, nothing feels better than having the absolute best client that understands all of this. <laughs> uh, un unfortunately, they're not all like that. No, no, they're all bad, I'm saying, but a lot of them just don't understand the process. Sure. Um, but definitely highlighting every point in the beginning, you know, the inexperienced agency owner or freelancer might say, why am I spending all this time? I can't do all this stuff. Who's paying me to do all that? And then you sort of throw out a number, you go out a project, especially if you're trying to grow. Listen, if you're trying to grow an agency, you have to uh, win clients that you're not comfortable dealing with because they're all, like the, the client that, you, that you're getting 30,000, 40,000, 50,000, if that's your first 30, 40, $50,000 client, you should be uncomfortable. It shouldn't be <laughs> the first mm -hmm. time, right? And, yeah. you're gonna, and you're gonna learn how to deal with them and just service them the best. What I'm getting at here is uh, once you get to that level, having all those I's dotted and T's crossed is going to save you in the long run, yep. right? Because then you're going to turn to them and say, uh, you know, they say, hey, well, what about these five, you know, custom templates that are supposed to be there for the German site? And then you say, well, we've never even discussed the German site. We've never discussed these five templates. 
uh, you know, it's going to be a work order, change order for that to, to, to do that. And they say, okay, yeah, no problem, right? Because they have everything else sort of outlined. But if you if you're sort of vague, right? I know this sounds obvious, but a lot of us get stuck in this. If it, the more vague it is, the, the more troublesome it is. You might be thinking, well, look, I scored a big one, right? 10 grand for this. They don't know what they're going to get. And then they ask you for a million pages and you're yeah. like, oh God, I can't do this. Yeah, it's, it's not going to end well right. um, if you do that. It's really, it's, it comes down to setting the expectations. I remember Alex King gave a great presentation on that at uh, Pressnomics. I think it might have been the first, maybe the second Pressnomics. I can't remember. And it was all about setting client expectations because if you set those expectations and the client is clear up front, it's going to save you a call you're not going to look forward to. It's going to save you potentially having a a, a very pissed off client or very, sorry, very mad client at the end of a project um, that maybe you could have had a phase two, you could have had follow up work, but now that that relationship is is done because they expected one thing, you expected something else, and it didn't get it didn't get worked out. And either you eat the cost of that to try to make them happy. Or you stand firm and and they go on and want to work with somebody else or whatever. It's just about setting those expectations up front, making sure everybody's on the same page. And then if they bring up the German site that you didn't know about, you can say, look, yeah, we didn't know about it. We have the documented plan. There's no mention of it in there. We were more than happy to, to discuss that, but it would have to be a change order or maybe a phase two that we roll out after the, the initial project goes live or whatever that looks like. But it it makes those conversations much easier because they could push back, but if it's documented and signed off on, it's it's not an easy pushback for them. Yeah, and and there's no, I mean, unless you, uh, you kind of alluded to it before, and unless you have another answer, but there's no real science to any of this stuff. And uh, you and I chatted privately about uh, a client that I lost, and it was one of those things where yeah, they were a, a bigger business. It was a it was a SaaS product. It's fairly known around uh, at, at least the marketing world, and <clears throat> one of the you know they they. They asked, they sent a typical RFP. It had, you know, maybe like 73 pages. <laughs> it was like, you know, it was like all of these stuff, all of these. A nice small one. Right. All of these <laughs> user stories. And it was just like, hey, if you can, you know, uh, give us a price on all of this stuff, uh, you know, try to hit as many of these user stories as you possibly can. Here's how we built sort of integrations with Drupal before. As an example, you can kind of base your stuff off of that. And oh, by the way, this was an actual line. Uh, that he put in the email was we really don't pay our uh, contracted vendors uh, a lot of money or something like that. We're, we're not used to spending a lot of money with our, con- our vendor contractors or whatever, that, however he worded it, basically coming up front saying, we're not going to spend a lot of money on this, but oh, by the way, <laughs> like hit all these requirements. And oh, I, I, you know, that's such a red flag. <laughs> right. And, and it's one of those things where maybe to the inexperienced person, they go, wow, this is a huge opportunity. This is great. This is going. I'm going I'm to do whatever these these folks ask. Ask, and there's nothing wrong with that. And uh, I'm not saying you don't go after as much as you can, but there's got to be right. There's got to be this cutoff where there's. I'm not going to give you free consultation. Number one, mm-hmm. uh, and number two, I. I mean, how many hours could I could I possibly invest in this before you right. know I go bankrupt doing these things? Um, I mean, I don't know. Do you find a happy medium anywhere in, in your quotes you have to i think so you know rfps are a, a a weird thing you know and i feel like everybody has very different stances on rfp i know some agencies some shops they just don't do them um we're kind of of the mindset we don't do them unless we think they're interesting <laughs> so it's not a it's not a hard and fast we don't ever respond if it's interesting sure. and we think 
we have a good shot and it's not over the top, um, we might submit a proposal, you know. Um, but generally speaking, a lot of these RFPs are very blanketed. They they mass email them out to 100 different companies and say, respond to this, right? Well, if you can't even get FaceTime, I've had RFPs that say you're not allowed to ask questions. Um, you know, I've had RFPs with just unrealistic budgets and timelines, or I won't give you really any information around that, not even to kind of, they just want to see where you come in at. Like, to that point, like, we really look for things that are like red flags. Like you said, okay, you're stating here, you don't really want to pay much money, but it's a 73 page RFP. That just immediately speaks to a bad project. You know, if you right. have this level of requirements and your RFP is 73 pages, that alone is going to take a significant amount of work just to read through it and figure out, just to get a high level understanding of what they need, let alone actually put together a scope of work. Sure, sure. You know, so it's, it's you know, you look for those things. You look for red flags. It's always nice to know if you have an in, if you have a contact or someone that could give you a little bit of insider info, you know, rather than just being a random person they emailed. You know what I mean? To know that you might have a better shot. Um, or to get on a phone and talk to them and see how they are, you know, and try to kind of sell yourself that way. So yeah, we, we don't respond to a lot, but I, I, I certainly look at them. And if something looks interesting and, and we feel like it might be worth the time investment, because that's what it is. It's a time investment that's going it, it to could, – it could work out really well or it could not work out at all. And you have to kind of weigh that. Is it worth you spending four, six, eight, twenty 20 hours on this or not? Is that time better spent somewhere else, you know? Yeah. Uh, speaking of time and balancing time – one of the challenges, and I just wrote about this uh, not too long ago, and it's about running uh, a services business and a product business at the same time. <laughs> the fascination uh, for having a product is, I should maybe not say it's a fascination. It, it is a fascination of mine. Like I enjoy the exploration of building products. Been doing it actually for quite some time. It started with a Drupal theme way back in the day that not so many people know about. Um, but you guys are sort of investing now uh, in a little uh, website or uh, product brand called Pluginize. Uh, do you want to give me the sort of the overview of that and, and, and the why behind it? It's not little, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, yeah. Yeah. So we rolled out Pluginize.com. Um, and basically what it is, it is our kind of the, our, our, our premium product or slash plugin side of the house, right? So we have a number of plugins out there in the world, uh, many of most of which are free on WordPress.org. Uh, some of which are on you know GitHub. Um, some are premium. We have a couple for uh, easy digital downloads and a couple for WooCommerce that we've had for a number of years. Um, so one one thing we want to do is kind of centralize that, like one spot where we can say, "Here's all the kind of things we have out there," and and be able to talk about that stuff, whether through blog posts or updates or whatever. Um, Versus doing it through our, our, our primary website, which is our basically our marketing site for our services-based business, Web Dev Studios. Um, trying to do that all in one spot, is it's a very confusing message. Um, very hard to kind of, I think it would be confusing for people reading our site, whether they're trying to get products or trying to get services. It, it would just be confusing. So we decided to roll it out on our separate brand. Um, we also um, have put together a, a products team within the company, uh, headed up by John Hawkins. Um, so it is a team that is 100% focused on building products, obviously more of the premium nature. Um, doesn't mean they won't have free products. We've released uh, – we've already had one new free plugin we've released, um, but we have two premium plugins we've released as well. So he has a team of a couple developers um, that are dedicated to building out products. Um, and that is that was our struggle we've always had in the past. We have some really cool stuff we've built internally. 
um, that hasn't seen the light of day. That would be very interesting. I think people would really like to see it. Um, but taking something that you've done internally or done for a client or, or whatever and actually packaging it up for a release are two very different things. Um, so having a team dedicated to either taking some of that stuff, you know, cleaning it up, getting it ready for official release or building new stuff um, is great because that's all they do. You know, we're not pulling them into client work. They're not, um, you know, our PMs don't have direct access to schedule them up on anything. You know, John's team is is our product team and that's what they focus on. And and in the past, we struggled with that because we tried to kind of bounce that. We tried to do products with our, you know, regular developers and designers as we could fit them in between client work, which is extremely hard to do. Extremely Almost hard. impossible. <laughs> yes. Almost impossible. It's yes. doable, but yeah. your clients are always, you know, they're always going to be the most important thing when you're a services-based business. So how do you squeeze in, you know, product and plug-in work? Um, when you have client work due or client work, you know, and, and milestones and deliverables and timelines and launch dates, you know, it just, it's the first thing that gets punted, right? Every single time. So we, I mean, we've built products for years that have never seen the live day and spent a lot of time on some of these things that we just couldn't finish, you know, just couldn't finish. So, um, we decided we want to get a little bit more serious about it. And that's how Pluginize was born. Uh, take me down sort of the strategy of, building the team are were there people already on sort of the regular client services team that you just transitioned over to product how did you decide on on splitting their time or did you just hire new people for this particular team yeah we definitely um kind of thought about both both sides we could hire new people we could we could look internally we actually ended up uh going internally um we had we had a couple people on our team that had experience with products um had experience with support um, that have you know rolled out products for for uh, things like App Presser that we work on as well, um, which is kind of another mobile product thing that we have going on outside of Web Dev Studios, um, you know, and also supported our free stuff. So Michael Beckwith has kind of always supported and maintained our free plugins. Um, the most the most uh, popular ones, Custom Post Type UI, um, has about a million and a half downloads. I think three hundred thousand active installs or something crazy. Um, pretty popular plugin. So he maintains a support form on WordPress.org, maintains GitHub, um, you know, rolls out new versions with bug fixes and some new features and things like that. So he's been doing that for years and great at it. Um, so we're like, you know what? He already has that experience. He already understands our process. There's no ramp up time and he enjoys it. So that makes perfect sense, right? Um, so yeah, we actually did go internal just because it made, it made sense. And we had a few key players that fit those roles very well. Um, and as we grow, we'll probably, you know, look externally to bring in some, some, some new fresh developers to add to the team, but it was, it's a good start. We're starting small. It's a new, new kind of vertical, so to speak for us. Um, so we're, I feel like we're doing it right. One of the challenges of short of the time, of course, uh, for my business and trying to do agencies, agency stuff and the product stuff is the mindset of re- research and development for products. When is too much time, too much. <laughs> when, do, when do things become too much of a cost? It Really with client work, it's, I don't want to say it's cut and dry, but you've sort of scoped everything out. You know the requirements. As long as everybody comes under or around the, the budget, even if it's over a little bit, you're still profitable. Um, the client still gets what they want. Uh, is this a different mindset? Is this something that you've sort of, you're kind of looking at going, okay, well, We've got these. We've got this great set of products now, but how do we sort of expand these? Are you worried about uh, sort of 
the overhead of research and development? I mean, any thoughts on, on that? Because it's, it's a totally different mindset, at least in my yeah. opinion. Yeah, no, it is. Um, so when we went into it, our strategy was let's, let's, you know, in the past, let me start here. In the past, we've come up with some cool ideas and we just dove in and started coding. That's a terrible way to do it, right? Because you will never, sure. you don't have a scope. <laughs> you know, you don't have a scope. You don't have a, in, you know, a finish line. You don't know what you're building. You're just building, right? Which is a terrible way to do it. So we went into this and, and we, you know, when we knew John was going to come on board, we had a lot of really, you know, early on conversations about this. We we're on the same page. Like, essentially, we are our own client, right? And we, you have to think of it like that. Like, we are our own client. We are going to put together a scope, a fixed scope for version one of that releasable version. We're going to have a fixed timeline and we're going to hold ourselves accountable. And we run it very much like we would a client project uh, in the sense of, you know, that fixed scope, the fixed timelines, milestones, all that stuff. We would have uh, calls throughout the process, generally more than weekly calls, generally a few times a week, and make sure we're still on target and still on track. If anything new comes up, we talk about it. Um, and as a part of that, we kind of roadmapped out future versions and what those releases would look like in terms, obviously they didn't include bug fixes, but in terms of any marquee features, we want to roll into it. Um, and then we've also set aside weekly calls for brainstorming, you know, new ideas. The nice thing about having John um, as a, our director of products, he's doing a lot of this kind of legwork and ideas um, throughout the week on his own and coming to the table with some really interesting thoughts, really interesting ideas that are already somewhat formulated that we can kind of dig into. So we're not just starting fresh. Um, and that's been helpful too. So, but yeah, just kind of having those conversations, keeping releases uh, small and focused, you know, don't build, you know, version, you know, don't try to roll out a, a, a plugin that has 50 features on day one, you know, like 50 features are great, but put together a roadmap of how you get to those 50 features over the course of a year or two. Yeah. And what are the, what are the core features that, makes that product valuable enough for someone to pay whatever that dollar amount is you're going to charge. And that should be version one. Right. And every subsequent version should be enticing more people to be interested as well as enticing people to keep up, you know, keep their license key activated if that's your model. So um, it is a challenge, but those small manageable bites and releases, I think is, is critical to getting things out the door. Yeah. I mean, I think we all, anybody who's interested in, in creating a product, we, you know, if you're doing any research and trying to educate yourself on how to launch a product, it's one of the first things that you read sort of everywhere is, you know, start small and you're like, yeah, but small sucks, right? I want to, <laughs> I want to do something that is, is really going to make a, a wave in the market and just be totally different and all this stuff. Uh, there's so much that happens on, all angles of a product when it has many features. It's not just about you having to, you know, write, the, make the features, write the features, ship the features, but then there's marketing those features, supporting those features, iterating on those features that you thought was going to be sort of, you know, a game changer, but six months down the road, nobody cared about them. Yep. <laughs> you know, they were, they were using your product for something totally different, right? So it makes it dif more difficult for you to sort of pivot or, or create that stuff. So, mm -hmm. There's a whole, it's not just like for time's sake, like people hear like MVP and, you know, launch a minimal viable product. It's not just for the time's sake, but it's for getting the product out there. It's just for all of these points of the support to marketing, documentation, everything, right, goes into this. Um, 
you know, would I do a page builder again? No. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot. There's a lot that goes into it. And, and a lot of that stuff adds up. Documentation, marketing, that Absolutely. stuff is a lot of work that yeah. I think, uh, you know, people underappreciate. And I'm, I'm gu- as guilty as well. Like that stuff takes a lot of work. It's one thing to re- get the code in a place that's releasable. It's another to actually get a page that can sell it well. Sure. Um, and really kind of gets the point across of why the value is there, why people should buy it. And that's just an iterative process, too. We're still working on that. We're, I mean, it's Poganize is very young. We're in our second month of it being live, you know? Mm-hmm. So we're constantly looking at what's working. What, you know, how can we better this page layout? How can we, you know, really get the point across of what we built here and why people want it? Um, do we have appropriate documentation as a developer? That's important to me personally because that's a selling point. Sure. If there's no documentation or it sucks, that's a big turnoff, and that's yeah. usually a red flag that we probably don't want to work with that product. So it's important to have that stuff too. So, yeah, a lot of factors involved. Yeah. Uh, by the time this episode airs, well, most definitely, the episode uh, for I interviewed Mike McAllister of Array Themes, and uh, the title of the episode was How to Start a WordPress Theme Business. And, you know, we talk about... Step one, don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Um but, you know, the realistic times timelines, right? Uh, if you are somebody who's sitting down and say, I'm going to launch a plugin or I'm going to launch a theme. Should I do this? Should I not? What's the realistic time? Short of designing and developing uh, the product, you have to, you know, there's all this planning and research, right? What, what, what kind of theme or what kind of plugin am I going to do? And then there's, okay, I've created version one, but version one still needs to be you know, you need to do some quality checks. You need to do some testing. You got to make sure it works. That takes time. The documentation, the demo site, right? All this stuff. And you haven't even put it into a marketplace yet. And you haven't even started to market or promote it, right? So, so if your product is going to take you, let's say, conservatively 60 days to build, right? Uh, to build your version one, two months. Uh, there's like four, five months of additional work <laughs> that needs to happen yep. in order for you to start generating a, a good flow of sales, right? Yeah. And you're not going to get 50 sales on day one. It's yeah. unfortunate you're not. You know, I actually went in with some expectations that we would have some serious sales because our first premium plugin was a, um, an extended version of custom post type UI. Mm-hmm. So we had an audience, right? We have an audience that are, you know, 300,000 active installs are using this plugin. So I'm like, oh, well, that's 300,000 very likely potential you know, buyers. Um, it didn't roll in like I expected on the first week or two, you know? but it's, it's progressively increasing. And you know, this month is, we're already double last month, which is a great, great trend to see. But it's not, it doesn't happen overnight, even if you have an audience at your fingertips that are the perfect customer. It takes time and right. work, you know? Right. And, you know, I, I've talked about this. Uh, a lot, but the day that we launched Conductor, I did it on Carrie Dill's podcast, and in that one hour, I sold five thousand dollars worth of licenses, and I was like, "I'm done. I've made it." Right? Like, That's amazing. Yeah, That's really good. You know, like, what, I need to get on her podcast. What, so, come on, Carrie. What the hell? Right? Like, I was like, "I'm gonna," you know, "Where's where's my Porsche? What color Porsche am I gonna get?" <laughs> uh, and and then the next month, and I wrote about this publicly. The next month, we did eight hundred dollars total. Right. <laughs> So I was like, okay, uh, things are a little bit different. Like it's, it takes some work. Uh, you know, one thing that helps is we have Slack. We switch over to Slack, and there is a Make It Rain bot you can hook in. So every time someone <laughs> pays you money on Stripe, yeah. it drops.
drops an animated money gif in yeah, there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that that I don't know. That motivates you to want to just keep pushing because it's pretty cool seeing those gifts drop in there all day long. Yeah, for sure. Um, one of the we're gonna sort of shift gears a little bit. Still sticking with WordPress, of course. One of the things that was sort of uh, in focus back in 2013 when we talked was the whole WP drama around GPL, uh, Theme Forest, uh, people getting blackballed from going to WordCamps. Uh, more recently in the news, it's been about sort of automatic sort of procuring their trademarks and making sure that, you know, people aren't using the woo stuff and they're not uh, using WordPress, of course, in the domain. Uh, where do you see the mothership going? <laughs> Where do you see it going with, especially with WooCommerce and Jetpack? Uh, do you see it sort of going into that traditional SaaS-based product offering, deepening its its fangs into self-hosted WordPress? Um, and I say that with the nicest tone possible. I can tell. <laughs> I, can tell. Um, I mean, I think it's no secret that Woo is a big part of Automatic's future. Uh, Woo, you know WooCommerce, um, and seeing some of the things they've done just you know early on since the acquisition is makes it pretty obvious that's a big part of their future. Um, we're seeing things like the um, the the whole uh, I forget what it's called, but you, you probably know the Woo Connect Woo or Connect, something. Yeah, where, yeah Woo yep. Connect is that it? Where it's you know you're pulling again that kind of SaaS based integration with .com. It's starting to kind of look a little bit like you know the the early stages of a WooCommerce jetpack, so to speak. Um, things like that, you know, you're starting to see uh, on the WordPress VIP side, they have VIP Go, which allows you to do um, kind of more custom uh, installs and configuration of WordPress VIP hosted sites, uh, um, including using WooCommerce. You know, so you're starting to see some things change that um, directly uh, benefit WooCommerce, you know, and, and we've, I think we've only got a small taste of it so far. I think a lot more is coming. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be a big part of Automatic's future. They know e-commerce is big business and big money. It is right. If you're selling, if you're, if, if there's a tool that's allowing you to make endless amounts of money, then there is a big market to make money off that tool. Right. right, right. Um, and WooCommerce is already makes a ton of money. EDD does very well. You know, there's a lot of them out there that do very well. Um, I think we're only going to see more of it. I, I think the SaaS-based stuff is what you know Automatic loves. I mean, they love that. They, they're doing it more and more with Jetpack. Um, it gives them a little bit more control, a little bit more insight into you know how how people are using their products and services. Um, I think we're going to see. You know, the, I mentioned the VIP Go hosting. I think we're going to see um, something similar to WordPress.com for WooCommerce very soon. Um, you know, that would not surprise me at all. A very kind of, uh, you know, a hosted uh, WooCommerce solution, you know, a la Shopify or something like that, you know? so Right. right. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, when I put on my uh, conspiracy theorist hat and talk about this stuff, it's, you know, I, I like to challenge everything. And because I feel like sometimes we're put into this, I don't know, traditional box of doing things, and it's it's very very much like the plugin model and and GPL and having everything in the repo, uh, and all of a sudden, I don't want to say SaaS is like SaaS like plugins are frowned upon, but they're certainly not, you know, commonplace, and I feel like. If WooCommerce goes to this sort of integrated SaaS thing where you don't see the add-on model anymore, 
then there's no more sort of like you and I couldn't create a little add-on for WooCommerce and get it into their WooCommerce ecosystem as easily, right? Mm-hmm. So and you lose some of that transparency, right? And like exactly, and you lose that You don't that know what they're doing with the data they're collecting. It's, they're not very transparent about that at all. They never have been. Right. Um, and that's concerning, especially when you get into WooCommerce because, or and e-commerce in general because you're collecting sensitive data. Sure. Um, potentially, you know, you're collecting data, sensitive data, customers' information. Even if you're not storing credit cards, you're storing names and addresses and stuff that people don't want to get. You know, wouldn't want to just be out in the wild. So, um, it's a. It, I would be concerned. I would want to know 100 percent how that data is being used, what it's being used for, how it's being stored, and I don't. You know, that transparency just hasn't been there. Sure. Yeah. Uh, it's a little. It's a little uh, scary. Uh, for me, and, and you know, again, it's one of those things that you you don't see the effects of it uh, until a year, two years from now, that kind of thing. Uh, so fun stuff. Good job uh, launching into the plugin space. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, ho- hope you're ready for that roller coaster ride, and you certainly are because you've been in the ecosystem, God forever. Um, what else? What other fun things do you have working on as we sort of wrap up the show? Dradcast? Anything? Uh, anything else you sort of want to riff on before we uh, hit? Well, we hit have stuff? we have the Dradcast hundredth episode coming Woo! up. We w- somehow we made it. I don't know how, but <laughs> you know, two and a half years later, I think we're coming up to that hundredth episode. So we're going to be recording um, in this next month. We're going to do. We don't have all the details yet, but uh, I can tell you that the Drad will be together for that recording. Um, and we'll be announcing stuff very soon, but I'm excited about that. It's just, a, it's a big milestone, you know, I mean, what episode are you on? Like 300 or something? I, you know, I was, <laughs> I, don't, I wish I was even keeping count. This is, this is actually season three, episode two, um, but it's like 145 episodes that's, or something like that. It's awesome. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, you know, there's, there's certain milestones with, with doing a podcast. I feel like episode like 10 it kind of validates, okay, this might be working. Like I made right. it to double digits, you know, yeah, and then yeah, 50 yeah. is kind of a big one. And then 100 is kind of like the, we made it, you know. And then after that, it's just like, you're, yeah, whatever. You know, you are you can just do whatever you want after that because you've already made it to 100. Yeah. Um, so it's pretty cool. Um, we're pretty excited about that. So that'll be coming up in June. If you uh, check out dradcast.com, we're actually going to have a blog launching soon. So we'll be putting some details up there about it and you guys can check it out. That's amazing. Uh, are you going to have special guests? Um, you know, I'm just saying, uh, if you want somebody on episode 100, I, I would expect some uh, some special guests, probably some past hosts to come on. Ooh. I'm sure there'll be some invites going out. Hopefully, people <laughs> will actually accept <laughs> and want to show up for it. Um, but it should be a lot of fun. We'll just kind of go and recap the show, and uh, we're still working through the details. But um, yeah, there will absolutely be some guests. It's amazing. Uh, Brad, it's been an amazing time catching up, finding out where you're at in business. Uh, always, sure. always a wealth uh, of knowledge for us. Uh, where can folks find you on the web to say thanks? Sure. So uh, Twitter, Williams BA, pretty active on there. You can check out our website over at webdevstudios.com. And if you're in the Philly area, come to our meetup. We do uh, monthly meetups around WordPress. We actually have two meetup groups, which are pretty cool. And um I'm one of the organizers for WordCamp US. So if you're going to be here in December, here in Philly, I'm sure it'll be beautiful weather. <laughs> it actually was. It was beautiful when we. It was beautiful. There's no way that's happening two years in a row. I don't know, man. The way no. that these polar ice caps are melting, <laughs> I, I think no. that I think we have a chance. 
So uh, track me down and say hi. I love I love talking shop, love talking WordPress business, all that stuff's good. So I'm looking forward to coming back on your show in three years. <laughs> um, see where we're at, what's going on. <laughs> see if WordPress is still around. Yeah, who knows what we'll be on then. We'll both be running landscaping businesses. It'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> we get into the contractor business. It's uh, I, I like the way they work. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody else, mattreport.com slash subscribe. Join the mailing list. It is the number one way to stay connected. If you do enjoy the show, we'd love a five star review as well and if you're interested in listening to plugin authors demonstrate their plugins uh, kind of do some unboxing uh, episodes some reviews some overviews some how to check out pluggedinradio.com that's my latest podcast uh, again that's pluggedinradio.com thanks everybody <laughs>